So that was the sermon. I'm just the ancillary part to, to what happens next. Um, no, they did, they did a great job. And, and that's the, the desire, right? As we walk through kind of a, just capturing as best we can a, a snapshot of who we are as a people, uh, it's not just something that we want to think intellectually, but we really desire it to kind of seep out into every aspect of what we do. And not just in the, in the aspects of ministry, where from children's ministry to youth to men's and women, certainly all of those things are true. And we want to emphasize those. But in all of our relationships and all of our encounters, there's a sense in which the desire is all of these commitments or things that are going to kind of take us into those places where we're looking to see how Jesus is working in the midst of, of, of who we are as a people. I wanted to start off this morning with a, a little story. April, uh, it was actually not April, it was August 14th, 1172. So way back in the day, there was a people that decided that it was time to, to build a bell tower. And this bell tower would be uh, right next to, adjacent to a, a, a cathedral. And it was uh, going to be a, a beautiful bell tower that had a lot of ornate uh, sculptures in it and would, would be comprised of all of these bells. And on August 14th, they decided that that's when they were going to begin building. So they began to build. And over the next four years, they were slowly making progress. They got to the second story of building this bell tower and it began to lean now, I'll tell you that uh, over, the la over the next hundred plus years, they continued to attempt to finish building this bell tower. And it wasn't as though there was just an infinite amount of construction that took place. But after the four years, and what happened is that the, the foundation was not stable and the, and the pad was too small. And so after four years and two stories, the situation turned from building the bell tower to blaming one another on whose fault it was that it was leaning. And, and we all have it these days. We see it, the leaning tower of Pisa is that place where it's actually been finished. But from start to finish, the, the bell tower took over 199 years to build. And it wasn't because an infinite amount of construction took place. But after four years, the next century took place of arguing who was at fault and what we can do next to build and finish this building. Do you tear it down? Do you start from scratch? What is it that we can do and whose fault was it? So a few generations had gone by trying to figure out how to fix what's been broken. And they continued to build it after that, after a century of arguing and, and did. They completed the project. Still to this day, uh, 120th of an inch, it continues to lean. So what have they done? Rather than fix the foundation, they've put counterweights on one side so it falls slower. And you, you look at that and you think, huh, it doesn't seem like the best option. It's a beautiful bell tower in Italy, huge, white, beautiful, but it's only known for the fact that it's not a bell tower that's adjacent to a cathedral. They know it because it's leaning. I wonder how often that takes place in the context of how we understand church. So often we think about church and we think about who God has called us to be and, and what we're about. And we think about the foundation of what that means. And, and the Bible's been clear, right? Anything that gets built, if it doesn't have a solid foundation, 
it's not going to last. Well, the same is true as we think about what God is doing here at Park Springs Bible Church. There's a sense in which the, the a core of our commitments or our values are really what set the precedent for how we understand different aspects of our, our ministry. And so when you saw all of these points that the kids so eloquently talked about and these five core commitments of plans and ideas of who we want to be as a people, they're buttressed, if you will, or undergirded, the foundation is laid by five other commitments that we would call values. I just want to share with you as we, as we kind of jump into this conversation about what our values are, what, what serves to, to set the stage for anything that the Lord desires to build here. And so this is really the essence of the commitments that we continue to go back to as we think about different areas God is calling us to serve and lead and love and care for people. There's a sense in which we feel convinced that it's, it's foundation or five core values. They'll be up on the screen. The first one is being biblically centered. What we mean by that, biblically faithful, sorry, I combined two, biblically faithful. What that means is that as we think about making decisions on a regular basis, it's not looking at the world and strategically planning what's going to work. We're rerouting ourselves on a daily basis in all of our leadership conversations and through our home groups about what it means to be faithful to the fact that the word has set the primary objective, the, the glory of God. And that all of us, myself included, need to regularly be changed and put myself under the authority of God's word. And so we might have great ideas and great plans that might work for a time, but the only thing that's sustainable is a faithful commitment to God's word. And so we're going to revisit it and use it. It's going to be the central element of what we think about in terms of faith and practice. Gospel-centered. What that means for us is that we are convinced that God came to seek and save the lost. But it's not just about those who don't know Jesus. We're convinced that you and I, on a regular basis, need the gospel every day. <laughs> There's a reminder of the rescuing power of Christ and the, the reality of God's work in our lives where we're reminded that as sin-sick sinners, we are prone to wander. We move towards our own self-reliance and we need one another and the word of God and, and prayer and worship to continue to remind us that the gospel is not just for those who don't know Jesus. It's for us. It's for all of us. Every day, all the time. From our counseling ministry to our kids ministry to everything that we're about in our interactions with one another where there's an offense that someone that is another brother and sister in Christ has has made to you and there's hurt we want to approach that with the centerpiece of the gospel that reconciliation happens because we've been reconciled to Christ right first Corinthians tells us that right he's given us what the ministry of reconciliation because we've been united with Christ. We're now connected with him. All of those things are products of God calling us to a gospel-centered perspective. Relationally honest. Maybe that sounds more like psychobabble than it does truth, but here's what we mean. We don't want to sweep under the rug the fact that, that we are broken people. <laughs> just so you know. Surprise, right? It's true that every single one of us who sits in the seats or stands on the stage has a level of brokenness and sin that impacts so many different things, not the least of which is relationships with one another, 
relationships with our spouse, relationships with our kids, relationships with our friends. There is brokenness that's a part of all of those things. So because of that, we want to be honest with the fact that there are hurts and hangups that exist in our lives, and we want to handle those with gospel being central and biblically faithful. We believe that the Lord is calling us to a place of trust and openness as we're honest with the things that are going on in our lives. So the goal is to pull ourselves or ask the spirit, I should say, to draw us out of hiding and to say, you know what? There are times in life, if not often, where we can admit things aren't great. It's not okay. And Jared and I, and even Jim, who preaches up here as well, would want to communicate that from the pulpit, that we would stand up here and we would want to be open and authentic with you, that there are things in our own life and our own journeys that we struggle with. We want to be relationally honest with the reality of what takes place. Fourthly, we want to be people-focused, meaning that we don't want to be people-driven, right? That, that what dictates how God works here is the truth of his word, the power of his Holy Spirit, but we want to desperately care about the people that God has called us to shepherd and shepherd one another well. The goal at the end of the day is that anyone who makes their way in the confines of this church will first and foremost know that Jesus loves them more than they can ever imagine. And that we as a body of believers seek to jump into their lives and partner with them about the work that God is doing. We believe the Holy Spirit is the best counselor. And so our desire is to move into those relationships and walk through whatever life looks like with one another. Because we believe that as we care about one another, we can very clearly communicate that Jesus cares about us because we see the hands and feet of Jesus in the lives of one another. And then thoughtfully creative. Boy, this is a dangerous one, right? It's just like, oh, what are they going to do? They're going to you know, have sparkles and all of these things in the sanctuary. And here's what we mean. Then the process of being biblically faithful and gospel-centered, we care about engaging our community for Christ. We care about drawing each other into deeper relationships with you. So how it's worked over these last couple of years, or actually this last year, is that there's been times where we've considered ways in which we can worship together as a body of believers, but also maybe engage our community. So we did worship on the lot on Halloween night, right? We had a worship service on our parking lot. So we decided we're not doing trunk or treat. The desire isn't just to give kids candy. We'll actually worship together. And that evening when people are trunk or treating and just find a way and see if the Lord will use it in such a way to just allow the praises of his people to reverberate around our community. It's things like that that we just want to consider and be open-handed because the goal is not to continue to maintain church as we know it. The goal is to say, Lord, lead us wherever you want for your glory. And so the sense is not trying to just do whatever we want to do and see what sticks. What we're trying to do is say, Lord, we just want you to be the one that is in charge, that you are the ultimate one that was being worshiped here. And we desire to follow you in all things. And so we're seeking God and we're seeking Christ to be the chief shepherd of this place. Wherever he leads, we're in. However he calls, we're going. Whatever that looks like, all within the confines of being, confines of being biblically faithful and gospelly centered. Okay, so that's, that's the foundation of, of who we seek or sense God calling us to be as a body of believers. But now we jump into the aspects of what that looks like in the context of our strategic vision. And there are a thousand ways to do this. One, I could go through every point and then I could 
uh, grab all of these Bible verses and prove to you that the Bible says what I want it to say, okay? And certainly that's a possibility, but that's not what's gonna happen. I'm convinced that there's a, the, the Bible communicates about all of these points of our strategic vision, but there's one passage, one chapter in the scriptures that I think gives us the essence of really what God is compelling us to hear. So if you would, we're going to jump into Romans chapter 12 this morning, and we're going to kind of just walk through it as a chapter uh, very intentionally and strategically as we think about application to who we are as a people. Again, by being biblically faithful and gospelly centered, the desire is that this word and the truth of what Paul is writing to the church in Rome will just resonate so much in our hearts that it's like, oh yeah, of course, that's, that's absolutely 100% who we want to be. So Romans chapter 12, I'm going to start with verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So here we get this sense, as Paul has, for the last 11 chapters, laid out the essential doctrine of the church. Like he's just been riveted to, to move the church in Rome and, and other churches that have been exposed to this word, ourselves included, about what the essence of the truth is. And he's, he's unpackaged so many different things, but now he's talking about putting hands and feet to the theology that we believe. And so he starts off by setting the stage, if you will, about what's most essential. And here's what he says. In view of God's mercy. <laughs> Again, when we think about joining together in worship, we think about growing in emotional relational health, we think about spiritual formation and participating in those things, we think about reaching out in mission. All of those aspects are governed by the reality that we, as a people, have received a mercy that we don't deserve. We are a people dependent upon a God who has compassion. There is a love and a, a, a desire and a pursuit that God has for his people to draw him to himself. And that mercy is central to all of those things. So every moment of every day in every part of our lives is an act of worship. It's not something that we believe here just happens on Sunday mornings. There's a sense in which God is developing in us as followers of Christ to be those people that in every moment, in every part of life, in every way, in every day, in every circumstance and situation, there's an aspect of worship that's being born and birthed from inside. And so that means that we're not being conformed to the pattern of this world. We're not just thinking the way the world thinks, but we're being transformed by the renewal of our minds, that there's a connection that we have with one another as we recognize that God is consistently developing and changing us, and it's leading us to deeper worship and lifestyle commitment to the cause of Christ. So what we're saying ultimately as we join together in worship, what we're seeing is that God is growing us to want more of God and care what he cares about, to love him and 
passionate and fervent ways where our life and whatever aspect of our life we're in is leveraged for the cause of Jesus. That it's not just about being in full-time Christian ministry, although we pray that people would, that God would grow future pastors here at this church. It's not as though it's just leveraging our lives to go on foreign missions, although we are deeply praying that God would raise up foreign missionaries to leave this place and go and share Christ overseas. It's about whether you're in the business world, whether you're retired, whether you're in your communities, whether you're at the supermarket, every detail as life is leveraged as an act of worship before a good and holy God. There's constant change and transformation that the Lord is doing in each of our lives and ways to, to draw us to himself. It wasn't long ago, I say it wasn't long ago, it's hard for me to even talk like this, but 20 years ago, I don't feel like I'm that old, but 46, it's just crazy to me. 20 years ago, I know, wow, it seems crazy. That was for my kids, they're like, I know, you're old. But we were there, so Aaron and I were, were in, uh, I was in seminary and we were living in uh, a place called Rockport, Massachusetts. And we found a small little church, Lanesville Congregational Church, that uh, was just a, a small little church right off of uh, Gloucester, Massachusetts. It's kind of up, up a little bit north of there that just loved Jesus and loved us. We got ingrained pretty quickly in the church and we were just grateful for good, solid biblical preaching, but also just the, the love and the relationships that the Lord had provided us through this church. And I remember places in which I was being grown and, and I didn't know what I didn't know at the time, but there was uh, so many people in that church that just came around and, and shared their lives with us and loved us in innumerable ways. But even to this day, 20 years later, I, I remember Martha. <laughs> she had a tough journey. She had been aggressively abused by her husband and they had been separated. She had two kids uh, and she was in the process when we met her struggling with stage four breast cancer. Uh, so she had gone through all of the surgeries. She was on chemo, had lost her hair and trying to raise two young kids who were to say the least a bit exuberant. Uh, and so kind of hard to confine, but you, you saw her and she shared her story and, and there were moments of, of aspects of, of her own journey where she struggled with wondering what God was doing and the areas of disappointment and all of those things. But every Sunday, every Sunday, she was in church. And so were her kids. And I regularly, even though I know my focus was on worshiping Jesus, I would look over and I would watch her worship. There were times where her hands were open and tears were streaming down her face and these songs were coming from just this deep visceral place in her body where she was just crying out to the Lord, knowing that her story was meeting the journey that Christ had offered her and she was moving to a place of intimacy with him. Other times she could not stand. She would sit with her hands in her face and barely be able to utter a word. And yet you knew that there was conversation, there was worship going on. I was being grown in my love for Jesus as I watched her worship. Because it wasn't clean. It wasn't easy. But there were places where the Lord was meeting her in amazing and incredible ways. God was changing her. And there were times that the body of Christ, that faith family, was worshiping with her. And there were times we were worshiping for 
her. But we knew each other well enough to know those places where God was meeting each and every single one of us. There's not a point in any ministry that I've been since that I haven't had those people. (laughs) There hasn't been a moment where each and every one of us in some way, we don't even realize that we're watching the Lord's work through one another as we understand each other's story and we're joining together in worship. The way that you worship, your commitment to Jesus in the deepest trials of life grows me. It changes me. It moves me to realize that when I meet those times, I too can worship And other times I can trust you to worship for me, (laughs) to pray on my behalf. When we talk about joining together in worship, that's what we mean. That our lives are open to allowing God to use them in any specific way so that in those moments of trial, we know that we're never alone because Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. But as a body of believers, it doesn't leave us there. We commit to one another to say, I'm in. As far as you'll let me in, we would count it a privilege to walk through life with you in any way that we can imagine. As you open the door of your life, we want to to jump in and walk through the Holy Spirit, providing, changing, and transforming you in innumerable ways. That's part of the commitment. Here's what he goes on to next as Paul lays out Uh, to the church in Rome, the commitments of of what this church should be about. But I think it also extrapolates into what we're committed to. Here's what he says in verse three. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. (laughs) That's awesome. Like this is one of my favorite parts because every time I look at this scripture, I'm like, don't believe your own press. You're not that awesome, right? You have just as many needs as the guy sitting next to you. And whether you're on the stage trying to figure out your calling, you are in deep need of Jesus every moment, just like the people that are sitting listening to you. Like, do not believe your own press. And I think that that's critical of what he's telling the church in Rome and critical for us. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and members do not have all the same function. So we, through though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. You see that connection. Verse six, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, if one who teaches in teaching, to the one who exhorts in exhortation, to the one who contributes in generosity, to the one who leads with zeal, to the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So you get this larger conglomeration of a recognition that the people that you set next to you are different than you. Not just different in physical appearance or social status. They're different in giftings. And I love that the word uses the term giftings. These aren't things that we do as employees for God. They're given to us by God himself. So we're functioning out of the gifts and the power and the provision of the Holy Spirit to utilize the things that he's given us for one another, (laughs) right? That's why he says, use sober judgment. 
The desire to stand up and preach for attention is the worst reason to preach, period. It cannot be about one person doing things if Christ is the chief shepherd. We do it with zeal and with passion. We serve with zeal and passion. We care about one another with zeal and passion. We do it because these things have been given to us by God and we can't wait to utilize them. There are people in this church that are so gifted in so many different areas uh, in ways that I never will be that we'll have an infrastructure of a church and a foundation where we're committed to Christ and committed to one another, that each of us will be leveraged and used by God in ways to bring glory to God and hope and peace to one another. There's a commitment to joining together in worship, to being formed, participating in spiritual formation. What we're saying is that as we participate in those things, what we're doing is we realize we're being discipled. We're being grown as other people are connecting with us in very strategic and very specific ways. And sometimes the people who are growing us the most don't even know that they're doing it. Now, we know the ones that might be wounding us and we're like, I'm growing in this point and they don't even know. But most of the time, it's just as we're watching one another's lives. I've watched so many of you love your spouses well and care about your kids well that I'm challenged and grown and matured in those ways. I've watched college students and high schoolers and junior high think about other people and commit acts. They're raking leaves for people in the neighborhood. And I'm challenged by growing my attitude of service, even when it's inconvenient. It doesn't matter about ages. When I, I see our children worship and share these things about sharing their faith and talking about growing and dealing with areas of anger, and those are things in which my heart is just like, yeah, I want to be open to realize that there's aspects of change that need to happen. I need to reach out in mission. I need to grow in emotional and relational health. These are all places that we do it together as the body of Christ. I've, we haven't showed our kids this movie yet. It came out in 1939. Shocking. I wasn't alive at the time. Promise. It was BC before COVID. Uh, but 1939, Wizard of Oz came out. And it was this sort of huge technicolor thing where all these things have, uh, you know, this excitement kind of newfangled stuff. CGI didn't exist at the time. So you had all of these things and you had this, you know, Dorothy and Toto. And I, mean, we used, to, I used to love watching that show. I'm not even sure why. It's, it's a bit corny if you ask me uh, now thinking about it. But they had characters in there that I think are pertinent, right? They had the scarecrow. And what did he want to see with the wizard? Why was he going? He wanted a brain, right? The tin man wanted a heart. The cowardly lion wanted courage, right? So you think about all these different elements of thinking, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and I want these things from this wizard. And I wonder how often that's been a part of our experience as we think about what we want from church. I don't want a scarecrow church. I don't want a church that's got no mind that's not willing to think deeply about the things of God's word. And so if it's this superficial, vacant, you know, a, a, a mile wide, but an inch deep, I'm, I'm not interested. But nor do we want a church that's like the Tin Man. It's got no heart. It's all head, but no heart. We want a church that captures the essence of what God is calling a people, a faith family to. There's something more than just about doing things in a certain way or maintaining a level of traditions or that 
age-old adage, well, this isn't the way we used to do it, right? I mean, that's, that was, those are the challenges. And what we say is our, our hearts are open to allowing the word to do the work in our lives to move us. So the church, according to these verses, is not built by experts. It's built by servants. The church is not built by experts. It's built by servants who are being used by God by the gifts that the Lord has given them to bring glory to God and to bring encouragement and growth to one another. That we are committed to saying that I am not going to be a, a, a bench-sitting believer because then I, wanna, I don't want to not use the gifts that the Lord has given me for his glory. So I'm, I'm open to being used by God, maybe even discovering what those gifts might be. Because we're connected and committed to having God be God over all of these things. So that involves a lot of different things. Faithful and corporate examination. Thinking honestly and consistently and, and soberly about the things that the Lord has called us to. And, and it involves people. The greatest change that exists in our lives comes through two different avenues. The word of God. Changing and transforming. Exposing things in our heart. But I love the fact that God has made... This text, as well as the majority of the text in the scriptures, shamelessly corporate. We're changed by the people that are in our lives. We're asking God for specific things when we love people who are hurting. We are asking God for specific things when we've been hurt by the people that we love. All of those things are aspects of us joining together in worship and allowing God to be the source of change in our life. So here's what he says next. And I think this is critical because as he talks about uh, loving our lives, being a spiritual act of worship, that we're surrendering these things, verses 9 through 21 are infinitely practical. Paul doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't slow the train down at all. Here's what he says about what it means to live a life of spiritual worship by having our minds renewed and, and sacrificing our lives for the cause of Christ. Verse nine, let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord, he says. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is a lot there. And I'm not going to spend the next three hours walking through each of those pieces. What I am saying is that I, I, I sense that each of these components are areas in which God is growing many of us. 
all of us really, that there are things in which we're wrestling with areas in our lives. But what Paul does here is he makes this again, shamelessly corporate. He is not ashamed in the slightest that this is about doing together as a faith family, the very things that God is calling believers to do here. How do you weep with those who weep? If you don't know who's weeping. I mean, how, how, how would you know how to handle and live peaceably with all men if you ignored all men? <laughs> I mean, I guess you could live at peace if you didn't know that there was friction. Repay no evil for evil. Do not be slothful. Rejoice. Patient in tribulation. Con- constant in prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. All under the banner of letting our love be genuine. How do you know or I know if our love is ingenuine. That comes in the midst of community. Comes in the midst of realizing that God is working through each of us to come to the realization of areas in our life where God is growing. And what ends up happening is that there's a safety net. And we've said this numerous times in the church. It is safe to struggle in the light. That what we want as a faith family is to allow the truth and the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives in such a way that those things that are holding us, or even as Hebrews tells us, right, those things that are holding us back in our sin, that we're encumbering us, that we're able to let those things go as we pursue Jesus and we're helping each other and walking through life with one another to cut the ties and captivity of sin so that we can move forward in our relationship with Christ. There's development, there's change, there's transformation. All of the aspects of those strategic vision are interwoven. What I would want you to know this morning is that the strategic vision of Park Springs Bible Church is not a checklist. It's not we did one and we're working on two and we're going to move to three and down the road we'll hit four and five. All of them are uniquely woven together that we're hoping that as we're being formed in the image of Christ, we're also worshiping and dealing with areas of besetting sin and growing in emotional relational health. And in the process of those things, the change and transformation that the Lord is doing in our life is moving us towards mission. So we're using and telling, that was a lot, right? I mean, that was fast. That was like rapid fire right there. I hope you got it all down. All of those things are areas in which the Lord is moving us to know that he is going to use and is currently using your story to develop you in such a way that you and I will see that your story is not just for you. There is a gospel-centered reality that you will encounter someone in your life that does not know Jesus, who can relate to your pain and the struggles with your story. And you can walk through that with them and find them in a place where they can say, hey, this is how Jesus absolutely made this bearable because otherwise without Jesus, I wouldn't have made it. Here's the God that I know. Uh, Here's the God that knows me. He's giving me and working in me those things that I need. He is providing for me in ways that I can't imagine. That's what the Lord does as we unite these things together. So every piece of our lives in the hands of a merciful God, he's working. Every piece of our lives in the hands of a merciful God. He is working. He's doing something. And at this point in many of our lives, we would be like, I'd like to know what? <laughs> Just give me a heads up. Like, what are you doing? How can this be? Etc. Etc. But at the end of the day, the confidence is that God is working. And Christ 
work will always move us to himself and to others. So as I think about the core commitments of what God has called us to be here, what we don't want is just to consider this idea that we are so rigidly convinced that this is the way things are going to be and we're going we're to, by our own human efforts, make this happen. What we're saying is that we as a body of believers want to be so surrendered to the cause of Christ and his power and so biblically focused and so gospelly centered that we're holding everything open-handedly, but we want to be intentional with where God is leading us to care for one another. That's the core aspect of who we are as a people is we, we talk about being a home for the hurting, which means that we want to be involved in each other's lives. We want to know one another and we want to know how God is working. We want to pray for one another. We want to care deeply about the needs that each of us are facing. And we would want to tell you whether you're a first timer or been here 25, 30, 40 years, we don't want you to walk alone. Satan loves isolation, loves it, loves to make you feel like your sin is too great and your shame is too big. That if, if anybody else knew what you know about your own heart, or if anybody else knew what I knew about my own heart, they would reject me right off the bat. That's tactics of Satan to isolate us from the very community God is calling us to so that we can find freedom from the captivity of our own sin, knowing that we don't have to muscle through it or outthink it. What we need to do is trust that the power and provision of the cross is enough for that. Whatever the suffering, whatever the struggle, Park Springs Bible Church wants to say, we're in. We're in. We don't want to be a scarecrow church or a tin man church. We want to be a church that reflects the cause of Christ and his love for us. We are dependent people who daily need rescuing. And we pray that God would continue to move us to use the gifts that he's called us to do, each and every one of us, so that we reflect his character to the world around us. Would you pray with me?